Los Angeles listeners, what is up? On April 23rd, I will be joining my longtime writing partner and buddy, Daniel Holzman. We are hosting a live conversation at the Los Angeles Public Library's Mark Tapper Auditorium. The theme, What Cookbooks Won't Tell You, 10 Burning Questions in Food. Make sure to RSVP. I'm going to link to in the show notes. April 23rd, me, Daniel Holzman, questions you. I will see you there. A lot of times the shows are like in the cafeteria. And there was one at the University of Delaware where they had like a smoothie station. And every like 30 seconds, there'd be a smoothie being made, like the blender just like popping off in the middle of my set. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Comedians writing books about food is nothing new, and in some cases, we are pretty allergic to the practice. But with Dan Adut's smart and candid memoir, Undercooked, the Cobra Kai actor and longtime stand-up comedian has written with truth and wit. In this episode, we talk with Dan about his time working at the infamous Spotted Pig in New York, and we ask for some of his go-to spots for Persian and Korean food in Los Angeles. We also find out what pops on the craft service table and how a recent encounter with Jerry Seinfeld was just as you would expect it. Awkward and hilarious. Also on the show, Eliza and I join producers Pat Stengel and Shalia Harris for what can only be described as a fantasy football-style draft of the farmer's market produce we are most looking forward to this year. With the number one pick in the 2023 Fruit and Vegetables Draft, the pick goes to, yes, tune in to find out where strawberries, golden crisps, and Concord grapes land. Dan Adut, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I was just swallowing my coffee, so I, I'm sorry if the listeners, that's your first impression of <laughs> Yo, me, but I am having Let's coffee. jump right into it. What's the coffee? What are you drinking? Is it is it third wave? Like, is it single origin? Is it blend? What are we, what are we talking? You know, here's, here's the issue, okay? I have become addicted to influencing, okay? I am, my fame is at a level now where I can get, like, free stuff sent to me if I, if I seek it out. So right now I, I'm cooking my, I'm cooking, I'm making my coffee. I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm making my coffee on a Breville Ooh. Oracle Touch espresso machine, which is like a $3,000 machine Whoa. that I got for free. Yes, yes. I know the, that, that Breville game is, is real. I, I'm, in, I'm in that grift as well, personally. It's nuts. Um, yeah. And then I also like this company called Drink Trade. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you know them, but they're awesome. They send like a bag of hipster coffee beans from like a hipster coffee shop somewhere around the country uh, every month. So I always get to try a different coffee. That's tight. Um, and they don't charge me either, man. I'm, 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 I'm riding this food fame for as long as I can. Free taste better always in my book. I thought you were going to mention this. You're like, I got this little company called Bre- Black Rifle Coffee is sending me these free bags. And I was like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't gotten the black rifle yet. Um, that's uh, I think Joe Rogan's keeping them He's busy. Keeping them busy with the promo codes. All right, Dan. Yeah. I gotta say, I, I went down. I got the PDF, um, and I've had your book. I was like, I'm just gonna read through this for a half hour, and I'm like, gonna like you know get enough to do this interview. I read your book for like two two hours last night. Oh and man, thank no, you. No, it's it's wonderful. Like for real, no joke. 
Undercooked is I've, just so well written. You cover topics that we cover here on the show. You your own personal journey. I just I fucking love your your style. It's great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's my. I'm not an author. I mean, I am. <laughs> you are now. Not. You got an Amazon page. <laughs> <laughs> I am, but I'm not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've never written a book before. I've only written comedy. So I think, uh, you know, I don't really necessarily have a writing style. I just kind of write like I talk. Yeah. So I think people are enjoying that. Yeah. It feels a little you know, accessible and not too high highfalutin. It's not. You're not over trying. I, I just think, listener, uh, you should pick it up. I'm not, I don't want to, like, oversell or over-talk the book. It's about your journey in Hollywood. It's a good Hollywood yarn. It also talks about uh, your background as a Persian Jew and a lot of the food in there. But it also talks about, you know, there's some relationship stuff. There's all this, like, real energy there. And I want to get to some points. But um, first off, you're on the set of Cobra Kai now filming... Now, what's, let's just do a craft service check right now. What, how are things going in the craft service table? Listen, you know how it goes. The better a show does, the better the craft service is. Um, yeah. uh, and season one was definitely, um, you know, a lot of chicken breast. It was a lot of chicken breast <laughs> and broccoli and, you know, yeah. <laughs> just like pasta uh, with no sauce. You know what I mean? Stuff that fills you and- up that it costs. Like, it's all pre- <laughs> pre-made and pre-frozen, yeah. Right, right. It was sustenance, is what it was, and uh, then the sh- and that was when Cobra Kai was on YouTube. Okay. Now the <laughs> the show has become a smash hit on Netflix. Yeah. I'm telling you, the last season, I I think I made a little video of it too because it was wild. <laughs> there was there was lobster. What? <laughs> there, nice. There was lobster. There was um, there was like a uh, there was like a pit master they brought in once to make like barbecue. In the, uh, you know, uh, in, in place of craft, craft services, they bring in all these, like, guest chefs once in a oh, while. Oh, who do you got? The names catering. names. Who do you got coming in? Um, they bring in, they brought in, uh, they brought in, I'm trying to remember who this pit master was. I'm oh. forgetting, but he's, like, one of the best in Was Atlanta. it, like, Bloodsoes? Oh, it's Atlanta. No, you're not, you're no. not in L.A. You're sh- filming in Atlanta. Okay. That's the cool thing is we shoot in Atlanta, right. so we get all this cool oh. local Atlanta food, oh, which is yeah. so exciting. Well, there's and like Heirloom Barbecue fun. Market. That's my friends down there. I don't know if it's that guy, with if it's Cody. Oh, that's cool. Cody and June. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, let's say I don't remember, but let's say it's if it's your friend, yeah. let's give him a let's shout. Let's definitely out. say it's yeah. It was heirloom. heirloom Barbecue Market, June and and Cody. Good shit. Okay, so Zasha Mehmet was on. I'll link to that episode in the show notes because it's it's relevant. She went on and talked about how the cereal bar on one of her shows was extremely high. Is there any kind of like element to the craft service table that you really are like, wow, this is exciting to me, like a, like a concept, like some kind of like bar similar? You know, the thing that we have, which I think is awesome, and that on other successes, successful shows I've been on, they still don't have, is amazing coffee. Mm-hmm. They, like the person who does craft services is obsessed with coffee. So she will like grind her own beans and make... You know, in the big industrial, uh, you know, coffee thingamajigs, she'll make a huge thing of, like, amazing, great coffee, which is such a rarity on set yeah. because it's always this, like, brown slop that, that you know. <laughs> yeah, the urn stuff that, that doesn't, drink. that's, like, burned up. It's funny. On, yes. on the note of coffee, I we had Nicely able on, uh, like, in 2018, and he was talking about he was hired – Personally, and I, I believe him when he says personally by Tom Cruise to do the coffee on the set of Top Gun out in the desert. 
and nicely is like a world-class barista. And like it goes a long way when you actually pay attention to the coffee on set. I mean, you're drinking it nonstop. Dude, it's the most important thing because being on set is the most boring thing ever. It's so much waiting around and then suddenly you have to go and you need that, you know, that liquid crack just to get you back up there. Yep, yep. And if it's shitty coffee, it's just so unenjoyable. Um, No, that's, I love that. That makes me love Tom Cruise. That makes me want to convert to Scientology. I agree. The fact that he (laughs) cares so much about good coffee, uh, 100%. All right, so you write about a, a year you went to 165 colleges to do stand-up. You were the most booked college comic. Um, and I've watched some YouTube. You got great, great shit there. It's Your stand-up work is, is excellent. Um, I want to ask you about being on tour in all these college towns. Do you have any, like, first, like, good food moments and on the reverse, on the converse, bad food moments? Um, yeah, a lot. A lot of both. But um, a couple that stick out. I was I had a show in El Paso, Texas, and I was talking to I was asking the crowd if there were any Jews there, and there was one <laughs> Jew there. And we started chatting and I said, What do you do out here? He's like, I own a farm. I was like, shut up. He's like, Yeah, we have goats and lamb and chicken. And I was like, get out of here. He's like, You wanna come for breakfast tomorrow? Like this is while I'm on stage. I'm like, hell yeah, I wanna come for breakfast. Oh. So the next morning I went to his farm for breakfast and uh, they made, you know, farm fresh eggs oh. and sausage made from, uh, from the lambs on, on the farm. Just a beautiful, it was like such a cool human experience yeah. of like, we're total strangers really and nice. we're having breakfast together and him feeding me. It was really, really, really sweet. Really, nice. really sweet. It was sweet until, uh, he tied me to the bed and it's a long story, but I have one kidney now. I have one kidney. <laughs> hey, man, for farm fresh uh, eggs, like like over easy, it's sometimes is worth it. I feel totally. And the worst experience is food adjacent. Uh, I can't listen to a smoothie being made anymore <laughs> because there were so many shows that took place. You know, you think it's going to be in a beautiful auditorium, and sometimes it is, but. A lot of times the shows are like in the cafeteria <laughs> and there's no stage. You're just standing on a table yelling at, yelling comedy at kids. Uh, and, just how kids <laughs> want it. They want to be yelled at <laughs> with comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was one at the University of Delaware where they had like a smoothie station and every like 30 seconds there'd be a smoothie being made, mm. like the blender just like popping off in the middle of my set. Yo. So, uh, yeah, no more smoothies for That's me. That's funny. I just got back from Israel. I I have like a lot of great memories and thoughts about the food there. Have you ever been? Uh, you you write about your you know connection with uh, you know Persian Jewish food, but have you been to Israel? Do you, do you have like a, a a thought about food there? I have been to Israel. Um, I love the food there. Uh, I in the book I talk about my earliest food memory being a falafel that I had in Israel, and nice. yeah, I. My my favorite thing in Israel is the, um, I don't know what they call it, but it's like the Jerusalem Grill, mm-hmm. which is like their little kebab shacks that have, that are pretty organ heavy. Like they'll have a lot of like, like, you know, kidneys and livers and heart and stuff like that. But the thing that they have that's nuts is foie gras. Mm-hmm. They they skewer foie gras, so you're eating foie gras like it's a like it's a you know like it's a chicken kebab, and it is so decadent. Um, yeah, you know the cool thing about about the food in Israel is that they can basically grab from every Jewish culture, definitely, and 
Jews have been everywhere and have kind of, you know, soaked in the, the food culture of, of the local place. So you'll have places that have schnitzel, uh, you know, from Eastern European Jews right next to a Yemenite place, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all Israeli, which is so Big shoe so energy cool so there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, big shoe, big shoe energy. <laughs> but I'm actually doing a comedy tour in Israel um, in the beginning of June. Oh, I'll hit you with so. my list. Oh, stop. That's great. Please. Oh do. yeah, Boston, yeah. Tel Aviv. That's my that's my one. I mean, I love that spot. Uh, what's it, so? What's it. it like doing comedy in, in Israel? How do how do the how do the Jewish jokes land in Israel? <laughs> I have actually never done it before. So oh, it's going to be my first cool. time going. I was asked to go and do a tour. That's there. That's exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty stoked actually. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. I mean, I'm doing that and then I'm going to Dubai after to do comedy there. So it'll be a, a fun little Abraham Accords comedy tour. Yeah, right. Like I would say this, you're going to have like the left set and the right, like the left page set and the right page set, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> For those audiences. Yeah. That's cool though. <laughs> Um, what was per- Persian Shabbat like for you growing up? You know, Shabbat is, is really revolves around the meal and food. And did you have any favorite dishes during Shabbat that you'd celebrate? There's a couple Persian dishes that are really interesting in that they're specific Shabbat dishes that only Persian Jews make. Um, cause Persian Jews and Persian Muslims basically make all the same foods, but there's this one thing called gondi which um, is specific to Persian Jews, and it's a specific Shabbat dish. And yeah, it's like kibbeh, but it's not baked. It's cooked in a broth. So it's a lot like matzo ball soup um, in that it's cooked in a broth, and then you serve it with lavash, flatbread, some herbs. You make yourself a little hand sandwich out of it, and it's just delicious, very specific to the Persian community, the Persian Jewish community, um, and really delicious. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite dish outside of that, it would be hormis sabzi, which is like the national Persian dish. So good. Um, it's a braise. It's an herb braise. It's a braise that just, you're just braising the lamb in herbs and water and just more herbs than, than you can, than physics can allow to fit. Into water. <laughs> it's like mint and dill and other herbs, chive, right? Yeah, exactly. Mint, dill, chives. The main herb is something called Chambelile in Farsi, which is fenugreek. Yeah. And it just adds a intense perfume to it that like literally comes out of your pores the next day. Would um, you, would your, your father and mother make that dish at Shabbat sometimes? Um, first of all, uh, very patriarchal culture. Ain't no fathers in the kitchen okay. in a Persian. Thanks for coming <laughs> correct. I appreciate it. I, th- I think I'm the only Persian Jewish man in history who can cook, <laughs> which is why I got a book deal. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, my mom, my mom and my grandma and all the, all the moms in, in the family are, are, are wicked, wicked good chefs. Yeah. I mean, shouts to Andy Barragani. I got to give Andy Andy a little bit of shouts too. But oh yeah, I mean, he's awesome, man. I'm loving that he is kind of modernizing Persian food and yeah. bringing it. He's like he's kind like, of the David Chang of Persian cuisine. Oh, right? definitely. Um, all right, I got a bone to pick. Recent podcast, Green Eggs and Dan, great show. I'll link in the show notes. I got a bone to pick. You actually you defend three sixty five hummus, three sixty five mm-hmm. Whole Foods hummus. Now, what the fuck? I get it. I think that first of all, I should I should asterisk it. It's like if you're going to buy a supermarket hummus, it's the best one. There's no question about it. Okay. okay. The Trader Joe's one, which is the one that I have to compare it to, is always really awful. Um, okay. no matter what, they have like a bunch of different versions of it and it just never comes out good. 
But the 365 one, I think, is the most consistent one. Mm. You might need to zhuzh it up a little bit when you get home. But it's it's I don't know. I really I really enjoy it. I will stand by it. It's nah. a, it's a it's a it's a hill I will die on. I re- I respect the take. Now I thank you for clarifying. Um, it's not like the best hummus, but it's if you can do store bought. It's gonna yeah, obviously you want to go to, you know, f- fucking Abdul down the block who's got the yeah. little hummus shack and get it from yeah. him. Yeah. But when Abdul's closed, you go to you go to Whole Foods. You go to Whole Foods, you get the 365. All right. Okay, so let's talk LA food because I you're you're right very colorfully about you know, your city and going on walks. You also write about uh, being uh, an intern at Spotted Pig, and we'll get to that because you, you went to culinary school. Um, real wrinkles in your narrative. I just like, this guy, this guy's my guy. I, I really like what you, how you write and you unfold your bio. Um, L.A., uh, are you like pro, are you like an Evan Funky fan, the Funk Master? I, I, it's a little like micro theme here. We always bring up Evan. I feel like oh, really? got to ask. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. What do you think I, about Okay. I'll get to him in a second. I do just want to circle back on the hummus one second. Oh, okay. In New York, do you guys still have that place called Hummus Place? Def. Oh, of course. There's that one place, on St. Mark's, right? That's like the best hummus I think I've ever had. I mean, if yep. the recipe hasn't changed since when I lived in New York, like, 12 years ago, yeah. that place's hummus was so wildly good. Yeah. Um, and I remember it was like an Israeli chef who was like, I get my chickpeas from the West Bank. And I like he, yeah. would, t- <laughs> he would have to go on a mission into the West yeah. Bank to get his chickpeas. I, I think uh, so. And I think like I got to give like Taim has good has good hummus. Yeah. Um, there's some I'm spots. so happy for her. I remember when she opened her little falafel place on oh, 10th yeah. Street and she's she's got a little empire now. Oh yeah, yeah. She, it's yeah. I think Bella Busta, what she's doing, just had dinner there a few weeks ago, and she's just yeah. killing it. Yeah, but yeah, but back to Evan Funky, the Funk Master. Are you are you down with him? Um. Okay. Yes and no. Great I, so answer. I love his food. His food is awesome, but it's become so cost prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, I, I love his new place, uh, Mother Wolf. It's. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. And if you haven't been there, it's like if Carbone and Balthazar had a baby. Great that's what, call. Yeah. yeah, that's what it would look like. And it's awesome. It's just like all this, you know, the red leather and and the, the liveliness and the big mirrors and the food's awesome. But, you know, you're going to, at the end of the day, you're going to a place that is serving you pasta and pizza mostly, right? And you leave with two people and you just spent 400 bucks and you're like, yeah. how did that happen? I just had flour and water. <laughs> how, how did yeah. I spend so much money on flour and water? But the yeah, food you, is so delicious. Well, I mean, respect. I respect the food. If the food's delicious, you know, you'll pay what you'll pay. Um, but yeah, it, 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 food food is expensive these days. We talk about a lot it of shows. It's so um, expensive. The vibe there is so great. Yeah. Though, uh, like probably second to none. And they, they're so nice to me. Like they'll they'll... They'll uh, they'll give me a table whenever I need one, which is a rare thing to get there. So uh, I'm not I, I'm not at all shit talking them. I'm just saying if no, you are gonna no. go there, get a second mortgage before you go. No, there's um, definitely uh, L.A. Particularly is a town where there's so much you know industry there, and I I gotta ask you like when you're taken out by agents or or you're doing general meetings or even great like specific meetings. I mean, are you? Um, are you at San Vicente Bungalows? Are you down at Bestia? Like, I feel like there's definitely spots where you take meetings. Where, where's that at? You know, the last agent dinner that I went on, I, here's what I do. I'll go to places that are, 
I really want to try, but are too expensive in my opinion. <laughs> okay. For sure. So a a great last, strategy. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like the place I've always wondered about, but I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to spend 500 bucks. No. And so the last one I went to was a sushi place. This place was called Sushi Tama and it's on Robertson and it's, uh, it's an omakase, super sexy. The food was fucking amazing. And my agent at the end, my agent is not a big foodie. So like, he was just like, you order, Dan, whatever you want. I'm like, great, two omakases. <laughs> and he has no yeah. idea like how much, <laughs> how, how expensive sushi can be. And he got the bill. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck, oh. man? You're not, you're not working that much where you deserve this type of lunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, uh, you absolutely won that, won that one. But totally. you know, Cobra Kai is all right. I mean, it's, it's yeah, on Netflix. Yeah. It's up in the, the, up other, in the top 10. The yeah. other place that I went to with my lit agent was uh, Pajoli. Um, which is a fancy French restaurant in Santa Monica. And it was great food, but if I had to pay for it, I would have been pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Now let's go over some other LA spots. I have a couple of general categories I always like to, what's your go-to taco spot, a taqueria food truck, and then your, your go-to LA Koreatown spot. So my favorite Koreatown spot, and I'm going a little rogue here, okay? It's not a barbecue spot. Uh, there's a lot of great barbecue spots. Everyone probably talks about them. All good. But my favorite place is a place called Ham Hung Restaurant, and they're known for a pork neck soup. And it's a soup that's just made with pork necks. And it is – I used to talk shit about Korean soups on my podcast a lot. Oh, no. Um, Don't do that. Please. That, just that saying – just saying that if you had to compare Korean soups to ramen, it's just like absolutely no competition in my eyes. And I had this agent who's Korean and she was like, Dan, you're, you're crazy. I need to prove you wrong. I'm taking you to this place that has a, a pork neck soup that's going to blow your mind. Now, she was no longer an agent at the agency and she's also like extremely attractive. And she's like, we need to go on this date. This is going to be fun. You're going to love it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Awesome. We're going on a date. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No, no more so, business. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't sure if it was a date or not, and it was a little vague, and I, like, sent a text to friends to get their take, and half yeah. of them thought it was a date, half of them thought it wasn't. So, like, I got dressed up nicely. I'm wearing, like, a blazer and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I show up at this place, and it's super divey, and she's wearing, like, like a tracksuit, like, you know, just, like, nothing special. And she's like, hey. I'm like, oh, hey. She's like, why are you dressed up so nice? <laughs> clearly I knew it wasn't a date and I was like oh I, I just pulled some shit out of, my, out of the top of my head. yeah you were like, like speak engagement downtown yeah you know that's what I go. said I was like yeah I was just at an art gallery opening down the block and so here I am now um, but regardless uh, still love you Jackie dude Ham Hung is dope yeah oh you know it yeah, I do. I and I know the dish is called gamjatang. Um I've written a couple of books about Korean food with my buddy Duki Hong, so I got a little intel on Korean food. Oh my god, and, I'm going to need your list after this. Oh, def, but you picked a spot that I've never personally been to. Um it's not my gamjatang place in Koreatown LA, but man, it looks awesome and that is truly no joke one of my favorite stews. Um in the Korean food is gamjatang, what you're naming the pork neck perilla seeds, black pepper, Big meaty bones. I fucking love that. Love yeah, that. it's so killer. And then also, like when you're like, if you need more broth, they just like give you more broth. Like yeah. it's like bottomless. Yo, that's nice call. Um, Dan, I gotta ask you, you do a lot of a lot of comedy in LA at all the spots, east side, west side, I'm sure. Where do you hit up at the end of the night when you've done like two or three spots 
is there like a go-to late night spot? Okay, we're going back to Koreatown because that's yeah. where uh, the late night eats are, right? Yeah. Um, there's a place called Feng Mao Barbecue. Do you know that place? No, I don't. That's good. It's probably the best bite of food in Los Angeles. Shots fired to everyone. <laughs> so, Evan Funky's got to watch his back. <laughs> yeah, watch it, Evan. Um, it's in Koreatown. It is Chinese-style lamb barbecue. Yep, yep. And it is... So killer, man! It's amazing. Lamb kebabs that are like cheap and and delicious. Have it over rice. Uh, you know, you cook it yourself. Love, love Feng Mao. Um, if I want a late night kind of classy meal, uh, my neighborhood joint is this place called Horses, which is the hot. That's place your in neighborhood town. joint, Horses. Yeah, I live a block me? away. That's really funny that like that that seems like it's it's such a a scene now. I mean the woman Liz who's one of the co-chefs is has been around forever in New York and now that's her spot in LA. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is um it's I live a block away from it that's and so I go cool. there so much that I'm it's kind of become my cheers which is yeah. such a cool place to have as cheers. <laughs> well yeah, but more natty wine than like natty, you know, nat- natural high life. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, and speaking of the Natty Wine, the wine director there is this guy, Terrence, who, like, I'll just come in there and he'll just have a glass poured for me. Just like, have this, tell me what you think. And, uh, you know, I'll pay for one glass of wine and have like seven. So um, yeah. that's that's probably my go-to uh, post-show meal. And it's right by the Laugh Factory, too. Now, let me ask you about dining out. Now, you've done a lot of different types of television. You start on a a show on the Disney Channel that made you quite famous with younger generation. Um, Falafel Phil is the character. You write about it really, really beautifully in the book, um, Complicated Relationship with Falafel Phil. Uh, Love that. I highly recommend listeners to pick up the book and and read about Falafel Phil. So you're recognized a lot. Now you're on Cobra Kai. You're, you're, You're a talent. You're... What is it like when you're recognized in a restaurant? Because that's got to be literally the worst thing that to happen. Wait, are you kidding me? It's the best thing to happen. I love getting recognized whenever it is. I think it's so funny when when celebrities complain about getting recognized. I'm like, this is why we did this. It's true, and and like maybe I I, I definitely recognize how that's like really flattering, and a lot of I, you know, it's really a beautiful thing when people love your your show enough that they're gonna come up and say what's up. But like, I mean, at the dining table though, when you're like about to eat and someone's like up in your grill, is, is that still okay? The only time it's weird is when people take like uh, surreptitious photos of you. Yeah, like you know what they're doing, and that's weird. And that's weird. I'm like, I'd rather you just came over to me and we took a picture together. Um, but when I get recognized by the staff at a restaurant, oh, yeah, I love it. It's like I know I'm getting stuff sent to me. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm all about the free stuff, you know? So No, no. Um, no. And also it's just like, man, it's so – I remember, you know, I know what it's like when I see a celebrity and what it does to me. And, uh, and so if you can be cool about that and give people that experience, like I went to, I'm going to name drop a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> I was in New York last week and I, my buddies run, my, my buddy's the CFO of major food group. And oh, okay. So I had a prime table at Teresi, uh, and get there. And, um, what's her name is sitting next to us. Uh, Who's that? I, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. <laughs> Literally the most famous actress in the world. Oh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Thank Wait, you. Meryl Streep's at Teresi? That's hilarious. 
Meryl Streep is at Teresi's sitting right next to us. And I'm like, holy shit, that's crazy. Then I go to the bathroom. I come back from the bathroom and my brother's like, dude, if you thought you were starstruck before, turn to your right. And I look over and right next to Meryl Streep's table is Jerry Seinfeld. And it's like nice. just wow. a one-two punch of the most famous people in the world. And then my brother's like, you got to go up to Jerry. And I'm like, why? I'm not, I don't want to bother him, this and that. No, like, correct, no, correct move, correct move. He's like, you have a book coming out. Your book is out. You have it here. You ha- you're a comedian. We're just, and then he started going on this whole metaphysical, we're yeah. just specks in the universe. This, none of this it matters. This is all meaningless. <laughs> just really pumped me up. So I got up with my book and I went over to his table when uh, the guy he was eating with uh, went to the restroom. And I was like, Jerry, I've been a comic for 25 years. Huge fan of yours. Uh, I just wrote a book. It's a bestseller on Amazon. And I really think your wife would like it because his wife is into the food stuff. Totally. And he's like, you, so you just walk around with your book in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, I was like, no, it's a, we're having, we just had a book release party. Treated. Obviously treated. <laughs> right. Uh, I was like, we just had a book release party and I just had it with me. Um, he's like, great. Yeah, congratulations. Leave it here. So I left it with Jerry Seinfeld. We'll see what happens. Nice. I think that there's clearly some po- poetry there. There's some cosmic pull that hopefully he'll, he'll pick up a pick up it up and read it because he does. You do get into your your grind as a comic and how you yeah. really worked at your worked at your craft for a long time. And um, speaking of craft, I have to ask you: you write so fondly about your time as a customer, but then later as an intern at the Spotted Pig, the infamous Spotted Pig, um, and you write about your relationship with April Bloomfield. Your relation with Mario Batali, which is also complicated. You call him a, a lizard of a drunk. That's a quote. Um, but I want to ask you, It's it was such an interesting twist to, to hear that you went to culinary school, externed at Spotted Pig, and then you now reflecting on the downfall of this restaurant. That was so important to you. Yeah, I mean, I loved the Spotted Pig. It was, you know, you, you probably went there. It was like such yeah. a special place. It really was. Um it was the first Michelin-starred gastropub in America. I mean, the food was so killer and so different and so without apologies. Like, she would, you know, April would just make whatever she wanted to make, um, regardless of how it was received, which is, you know, how the best art is usually made. Um, and, yeah, I came back from touring, and I was going to uh, I was going to take classes at the French Culinary Institute and the manager there was like, dude, just come work here instead. Like, it'll be free and, and you'll learn a lot more. So I started to work there and and uh, it was like my summer internship. I'd always summer intern at the Spotted Pig. That's so crazy. And, um, I loved it. I just loved everything about it. And it was so cool to see how a Michelin-starred kitchen works, you know? It's a, it's a very, very different vibe, and the food was a, was amazing, and I learned how to cook. Like, I learned all these skills there. Yeah, what did you learn? What were you, what were they having you do, like Dan the intern? I learned how to do everything, like, just anything from, like, just how to cut stuff and how to clean and how yeah. to butcher and how to make soufflés, uh, you know, like savory soufflés, which I had never made before, uh, how to uh, make stocks and wow. how to make deviled eggs and the chicken liver toast. And just everything on that menu was so killer. And learning from April and learning her style of cooking was just like a dream come true until it wasn't. And then it just seemed like the place was was – 
every, all eyes were pointed at this place and it was just like yeah. um it was a real quick downfall um from everyone at the top to the bottom and it was uh you know then it became I, I like sort of i was ashamed to be associated with it in a weird way though it's like i can't say that i didn't love that time there and i yeah. didn't love the, the things that i learned and and that you know i i i feel for april man she was put in such an awful position um and uh yeah she was and i and i'm friendly with april and i hope to have her on the show one day i i have I've reached out a couple times and it's not quite right timing wise but i think that certainly she learned a lot from through that experience and certainly she shouldn't be quote unquote canceled and and not be a public figure in food because she was so important and very generous with her staff in many ways from what I've been told. How do you square the Batali stuff? Because you, you talk about the third floor being such a special place for you. The, the top floor, I agree. I went to events there. It would be very cool and have a certain vibe, but then it became known as the rape room and much reporting about Batali. And that's absolutely despicable. And, it's changed the way you think about private dining. It's just the whole thing is disgusting. And you write very clearly about how your relationship with Batali is. You're not going to fully, I guess, be like he's a monster because it's complicated. It, it has a long – you have a long relationship with him. Look, I I think he – I think he is a monster. I, I, I'm comfortable saying that he is a okay. monster. Sorry, my you mean to imply that you don't no, think he's a monster. And, right. and also to clarify, my long relationship with him isn't like a friendship relationship. It was right. like I fell in love with food and food cooking because of Molto Mario, his TV show right. first, and then with his restaurant, Babo. It was a formative place for me in, you know, in in kind of turning me into the the food nerd that I am. Uh, and for a lot of people. Uh, and then, you know, at the Spotted Pig, he would hang out there. He was an investor at the Spotted Pig. And some nights he'd be there just hammered. Um, and he was like, you know, he was this idol of mine that I got to see, like, the dark side of. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it then you get into this debate of separating the art from the artist. Like, I think what he did was absolutely disgusting. But I'm not going to lie, when I'm making Italian food... Uh, the Babo cookbook is still the first book that I go for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, you know, my friend Barry wrote this article about separating the art from the artist. And it yeah. was like, if you, ha- if you only were going to, if you were going to go to museums and only look at art that was written by like, you know, ethically, uh, just hundred percent ethical people, then there's going to be no paintings in that museum. Yeah. Well, um, yep, listener, check out the book because it, there is a really great section um, in terms of the way you articulate these, the long history, meaning your relationship as a fan of his content and how you came out the other side of it after all this controversy. It's great. It's a great read. Um, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Dan, I have to ask you, you're a judge on Is It Cake? Big, big, big show in my household with my with my young niece and nephew and myself. I just love that show. What was that? What was that like? Let me tell you something. You can't fucking tell if it's cake or not. <laughs> these I I went in with such hubris. I thought, yeah, these comedians who are here, they don't know the nuances of what a cake looks like and what it doesn't. I'm gonna get this, like the judges. I I'm gonna I'll, I'll kick their asses. I could not fucking tell what was cake, and what a weird, dumb skill to have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
but it was no it was I, i'm kidding I, I truly think those people are artists and yeah what they did was so killer and blew my mind. I mean, if you watch my episode, which I think is episode seven in, in season one, you're, you're literally watching my mind just melt. <laughs> yeah. I, I, love, I love you on the show. I remember you as a guest, and I remember it's just a, it's a well-hosted show, and it's dope. I'm glad it's coming back soon. Um, do you and Phil Rosenthal have, like, a low-key rivalry? I just have to ask. Oh my God! No way! It's a rivalry. It is. He is. He is at the top of the mountain, and he pulls me up with him. Uh, yeah, he's, he's great. He's a friend. Yeah, love yeah. That guy. He he's such a generous man. He's too generous. Like something's up. Like where where are you hiding the bodies, Phil? Um, <laughs> but no, we go out to dinner once in a while. He did the blurb on my book. Oh, cool. um, nice. He's always just been super supportive and uh, of me, and and I'm supportive of him. He he's got my favorite food show on TV now. I yeah. think somebody feed Phil is just like, you know, when when Bourdain died, everyone was trying to recreate Bourdain, and and the thing about Bourdain that made him so great was that he was just authentically him. It wasn't that he was a badass or that he was this or that. It's he was he was the most authentically him, and I think that in a way, Phil Rosenthal is the closest will come to Anthony Bourdain because he is so authentically himself on his show. Um, and I think that's why it resonates with people so much. So I'm very grateful for him personally and professionally. I mean, what he does for food, uh, especially in L.A., is amazing. And what he's done for me and my food career has been uh, has been uh, very, very uh, helpful. I love to hear that. 1,000% agree with the way he is extremely focused on the tone and voice of that show and how he is himself. I agree that's what made Bourdain so special. And it's a great show, Somebody Feed Phil. I, I think it doesn't actually get the credit it deserves within, like, the media. I think that, obviously, it's very popular, and he's an incredible host. But I'm glad that you give him him giving him his flowers right now. I mean, I, I, people are—he's so beloved, but, like, he's— uh... He's a fun person to go out to eat with because he gets recognized everywhere he goes. And man, do they bring out the hits when he's there. <laughs> so let me close with this. On Green Eggs and Dan, you ask all your guests about their first food memory. I'm going to flip it to you, but I'm not going to ask you for your first food memory. That's boring. Literally, what is the last food memory you had? Like, think about, like, in this conversation, what was the last food that you just thought about? The last food that I thought about was, um, I'm going to say... Well, I had a yesterday was my birthday, and uh, I had a killer steak free. At uh, I mean, I'm I'm dro I'm dropping so many fucking names on this. Uh, it's good. Podcast, it's part of but podcasting. Proper nouns actually go, 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 you know, make these things grow. It's like the fertilizer of podcasting. Proper. I nouns. had a killer steak free yesterday at the Soho House. Um, All right. And my parents are in town, and it was just so fun to fun. be with them and. Uh, you know, have a little, uh, a little, a little birthday, a little birthday celebration. It was, uh, it what was, was nice. the guest list? You've got your parents, you've got you, anybody else? Let's drop some names. I mean, last night I had a, I had a book release party and that was a little, that was a little star studded. We had, uh, Jerry O'Connell, who's become my new best friend, uh, with right there. <laughs> hey, good best friend to have. Uh, I love this guy. We did a movie together and we go out to, we go out to drink, uh, once in a while or, you know, we just, go out to eat and drink. And we went to uh, Musso and Frank's one night. Oh, and this guy, Same. dude, he's like, he's like just, he's like big timing everyone he walks by. Anyone oh, who yeah. in his orbit gets a $20 bill. It's so, it's, and it's in a place like that, 
It's like he's a mobster. It's great. He's got and that my he's... secret identity money, man. Jeez. Totally. And then he's got this thing where he doesn't drink. Um, so, but like his crutch, I guess, now that he's sober, is that whatever you drink, whatever you order, he's just going to say, make it two. So I'm like, let me get a Negroni. And he's like, yeah, make it two. And then he just gives me his Negroni. So you're just getting hammered within like... <laughs> Within the first half an hour, you've had four Negronis, and uh, it is uh, it is really fun uh, to hang out with him. But uh, that's yeah. good. That's a good. Who else is on the guest list? I feel that's a good one name. But there's got to be a few others. We can go industry too. If it's like it was very. I mean, it was very heavy industry, which like is not going to be exciting. But the creators of Cobra Kai were there. Great, which was cool. Um, uh, network executives from a bunch of different networks were there, uh, which was great. And nice. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, I had, and there was a bunch of uh, of food. Uh, um, per, like pa- Paul Feinstein, who's a who's a big food writer out here. He was here. Stephanie Brejo from uh, the L.A. Times food section was here. Yeah. Uh, it was a very fun, eclectic. Uh, weird That's cool. People, yeah. Well, Undercooked is is such a great read. I, I have to stress how much I enjoyed it, and I can't wait to finish it. Dan, thank Thanks, you for joining man. the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we got to to do this. And it's so amazing to talk to someone who uh, is as nerdy with food uh, <laughs> as I am. So uh, game recognized game. Oh, buddy, let's 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 have a meal in L.A. Let's do it, please. <laughs> We're going to do a draft. The only draft I've ever cared about right here, right now. Yeah, I feel like slightly self-aware because like drafts are kind of like a podcast um, cliche at this point, Pat, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. The Bill Simmons Network, they love their drafts. They love their drafts. Movie drafts, sports drafts. Sports drafts, all that shit. All right, so I'm introducing Pat Stango, our producer, Shalia Harris, our producer. Hi, glad to be here. Hey, so the four of us are here. We're going to do a draft. Today's draft is Farmer's Market Produce. Okay, so what do you think, Pat? Oh, I love it. I love it, too. Because I mean, I love it because it's a draft, but then also <laughs> farmer's market, sure. But the, the draftiness is what gets me. The draftiness is what gets I, I I feel like we can do this with a lot of things. This is our first one. Um, so to set some ground rules, Eliza, I think we need to, like, recognize where we're recording from. We're recording in New York City, but I think we, re- we kind of cover the New York East Coast area. And that's important because, obviously, the farmer's market in California and the farmer's market in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, are going to be different. Right. And also, like, the ferocity that at least myself will be bringing to this event is because <laughs> I haven't had these things in months. And exactly. So, like, my the family in L.A. that have been having strawberries all year, maybe that wouldn't be one of their top draft picks. Not to tip my hand at all, but— <laughs> I think you might be. I mean, yeah, the, it's funny how California has, like, four strawberry seasons or something. Yeah. Like, literally every three months there's a new strawberry season. It's important to note that we're recording this in early— April, April 4th, and we are not really seeing much at our markets right now. I, where I'm from, they don't even open the markets until May 1. But I know in New York, there's year-round markets. And have have either of you been to the farmer's market in the past few weeks to, to like, tap into what's happening there? Yeah, I have. 
I, I mean, they have all the same stuff they've had since December, which is cold storage crops. Yep, yep. It's all the cold, cold storage, maybe some winter greens, but mostly cold storage, yeah. Yeah, we'll get uh, ramps is the first thing yep. in a couple weeks probably, and then maybe some alliums go from there. Yeah, alliums are, are definitely around. So I think what we're going to do is I'm going to go around uh, our studio and have each of you draw a number between one and four. We're going to do snake style, meaning number one gets the first and the seventh pick. And we'll just kind of go in that order. What we're going to do is basically name the product or the produce that we are most excited about or what we covet, what we want to kind of add to our to our fictitious basket, our bag, our branded bag in this in this in this farmer's market. Does that make sense? Let's do it. All right, cool. So I'm going to go around. And, and Pat and Shlia, I'm wondering if we can weigh in on like how specific with varietals are we trying to be? Like, could we could someone take one kind of tomato and someone else take a cherry tomato or once you do tomato is it off the table oh no i think uh everything is fair game when we're talking about tomatoes so, so multiple tomatoes yes. i think that's fair yeah, yeah. cuz you're so using many. them in different ways so i think that's fair but let's i don't want to be like oh i have the green zebra tomato and you have the other specific <sighs> yeah side we'll we'll debate it in real time we'll debate in real time i mean if you really want to take a second tomato i know that i have my eyes on one particular tomato um that you might be have your eyes on. We're gonna like get get into it. So okay, what do we got numbers wise? All right, guys. You're number one. With Pat? the first pick in the draft, I select. Now I'll hold off for a second, but I am picking. First. You're number one, Pat. I'm number Take one. Us off. I'm number two. Great. I'm three. Shalee, you're I four. I am four and five, and I'm six, seven, and eight. Actually, it's one and eight. Okay, you go. Awesome. So we're picking. We end up with two two items in our bag at the end or are we going um, three rounds? I think we're going to go three rounds. We'll okay. see how we go. I right. think, I mean, I could go like eight rounds. Right, right. We'll see. And what about trades? We can mm. trade at the end. I, I think that's a good call. I think we could maybe do some trading at the end. Okay. If, we're, if we feel like we need to like compliment some things. All right. So right up front, I got to say I'm drafting on behalf of my marriage. Great. Because it's my wife, Erin. She's the real farmer's market since we moved to Park Slope uh, in uh, end of 2020. She found the farmer's market in Prospect Park right on Grand Henry Plaza. Best. And goes every Saturday, all year, like minus five degrees in the end of January. She's getting up on Saturday morning. She's going to the Shout out to Aaron. That's a really good, that's a good wife. That's a good partner. Dedicated. She loves it. I go once in a while if I'm awake, but usually not. So drafting for both of us. So she said this has to be number one. (laughs) I have the text here. Number one, we've got to select... Ernesto's eggs. That is her egg man, Ernesto. Ah, I love her it. Favorite egg. She she does eggs every morning for breakfast. Yep. This is vital to our marriage staying together. She has to get these. Ernesto's you started eggs. with a with a, with a non produce. I, I love that call. It has to be these eggs. What do you think, Eliza? I'm into it because I don't really eat eggs, so this yeah. means that all of my choices are set up for grabs. I love it. So Ernesto, I, I feel like this guy this is a legendary egg man. Legendary man. I mean, legendary in that she met him when she moved here <laughs> two years ago and really likes his eggs. But seems great guy. I've met Ernesto, you know, yeah. all, all cash business, which you got to love. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I miss my egg guy, the Carroll Gardens uh, Sunday market, who I used to always go to. And he used to hit me up with some blues, some mm-hmm. blue eggs. How are Ernesto's egg prices? Yeah. What is that? What are we looking at here? I think it's uh, $7 for a dozen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whoa. Right. But you know what? She's got very sensitive to there's other eggs if she gets eggs from and I listen I love key food but if she gets key food eggs it's it's no, not going to hit her right. as right. but these are Ernesto's eggs they're good I oh, bet the great. yolks are just super orange yeah mm-hmm. 
What's number two? My my pick is Sun Gold Tomatoes. Oh, you took them. Oh. Yeah. Why did you took Sun Golds? That well, was literally my first one. I, mean, I have two first ones. That was like one A and one B, and Sun Golds was one B. I knew I was really hoping I'd come before you because when you said you had <laughs> and I had one specific tomato varietal, Sun Golds. Damn it. Sun okay. Golds, they're just, okay, they're the little golden cherry tomatoes with thin skins. They're incredibly sweet. They're just so good to cook with in the summer. I, my, I make this one pasta that is just like a burst Sun Gold pasta. Sometimes I'll add sausage. Sometimes yeah. I'll add basil. It's so good. Yep. It's so good, and it's, like, kind of expensive and honestly worth it, and I just had to go. I definitely have on my notes pasta, pasta, pasta next to Sun Golds. I agree fully. I burst them. I usually put some sardines in there. I love canned sardines and Sun Golds, double S. I'm into that. Um, With garlic, obviously. But you can just make them with anything, and they kind of, like— like are so perfectly sweet and the skins break quickly. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. What are you doing instead? All right, so my 1A, I said Sun Golds is 1B. 1A for me, I'm just taking apples off the board. For summer, just go all for it. No, we're, we're doing summer fall. Oh, I mean, still, I don't, who cares no. about apples besides Matt? No, summer know? fall, we're taking it off the board. Shalia, what were you saying? You're doing all apples? I mean, okay, no, I, right. I have I have clear apples here. Oh no, you can. I'm just gonna. We're gonna have to recalibrate okay, a little later recal- on. Well, okay, I think apple season in the Hudson Valley starts in August, and the first picks are obviously the best picks, the summer crisps. So I'm taking summer crisp as my type of apple because it's a version of the honey crisp, but it's usually the first pick. They're a little smaller, and they're usually just perfect, like in a good season. And 2022 was really good. I love it. And are you walking around chomping on an apple or are you slicing it up, using it in a salad? What's your apple strategy? Interesting story. If my wife is listening to this tomorrow, um, when we were living in Brooklyn, I used to crunch apples during the pandemic, like early 2020. We're talking like fall 2020. And um, arguments occurred because of the the volume in which I ate apples Mm -hmm. and the frequency. Yeah. If you can't crunch apples in your own home, where can you? I agree. We we moved because of that. But to answer your point, I love just a – I don't like the slice. I like the crunch. Okay. I mean like the tearing it with your own – you know, teeth. Okay. You know, I'm a slice guy. You're a slice guy. I'm a slice, maybe a little peanut butter. Peanut butter is not a bad idea with, with good apples. All right, Shalia, I think you might be grabbing something else from that category. Yeah, we're going to go back. We're going to stay um, with apples for a second. And for fair warning, I do think, like, all of my produce is, like, very heavily fall produce. Like, I feel like that's when I am at my best as a person. I like that. Um, that's a great... You're like fall, it aligns with like your your person, your yeah. personality. What's your zodiac sign? I am a Pisces, so not related, okay. but I different don't know. podcast. There's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, Eliza and I have already tried to start that podcast. We're trying to start <laughs> yeah, rival, astrology podcast. Rival. Okay, so let's go there. So I feel like I'm a creature of habit. Like, I do love exploring and trying new things, but I also, there's like certain foods that I could eat every day for the rest of my life and just be completely content. And one of those things is like a really, really sweet apple in Asiago cheese. It's my favorite thing in the world. I'll eat it every day for breakfast. Um, And I'll do it like, you know, like I'll, I am also a slice person. Um, And I'll do like slices with just like a little bit of like aged Asiago, like for breakfast with a little tea. Great. Oh, okay. Is that what you're, I'm asking? Like, no, what? like sliced. Sweet. Like sliced, like specifically aged. Like I don't particularly yeah. look like a fresh. But, but you're like taking age. hunks off of the, off of the aged mm-hmm. brick. Oh, I mm-hmm. love that. Um, it is one of just the 
most simple best joys in my life. Um, and like sometimes if I'm like feeling fancy, like maybe I'll like bake them into like a galette. Like we can get like we'll get crazy with it sometimes. Um, so with that said, like I need like a really really sweet apple. So not never. Uh, you said ever crisp, right? I like I like the crisp family. Uh, okay. Summer crisp into autumn crisp into summer gold, crisp into okay. um. Honey crisp. Okay. Yes. So I was gonna say, like, I do love an ever crisp. I love a honey crisp. Like, I will take a Fuji, mm-hmm. you know, depending, but it's just gotta have like that like really sweet, like lower on the acidity, um, just to like balance well with the Asiago. But love um love apple season. I love it. All right, I'm up. No, Ta- th- does Shalia do four and five? Oh, uh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Do do You're right. Five? Sorry. Let's let's. Uh, I didn't mean to just jump in. Okay. Sorry. My goodness. You're up again. Oh boy. Um. Okay. So then I think my second thing is gonna be, and I do feel a little bit nervous doing this in front of like the mushroom queen. But my second thing is going to be mushrooms. Um. <laughs> And I will, I'll like narrow down a little bit. Um, I've been going to this like vegan soul food restaurant on East 7th called Cadence for the past couple months. Amazing. So uh, good. I so love them cool. so much, my God. Like someone, so cool. someone yeah. took me there for the first time in like October and I like go constantly now. We should um, get the Cadence chef on the podcast for real. We should absolutely We're all, we're all do fans that. here, I guess. Yeah. It's great. Um, and I just love, like I like am again from a Southern family and I just like love like comfort food. I love like how savory their food is. And I love like they don't have a really large entree menu, but I want to say like at least 50% of it is mushroom based. Like they do like a really good like buffalo oyster Mm -hmm. mushroom sandwich. They do a really good like oyster mushroom and grits. Like they do like uh, like fried uh, oyster mushrooms and waffles. Like they're just fantastic. And so I've been on this, I've had this bug for the past couple of months where I've been doing the same thing at home. Um, just like really just like decadent, savory, very comfort mm. food, like eating like a lot of um, a lot of oyster mushrooms. Um, but also I've been doing a lot of like hen of the woods and chicken of the woods nice. too because I think they just like fry up with this like really fun um, meaty texture. Um, so I've been getting them typically from like local like groceries near me but i'm excited to like start getting them at markets as well yeah and they're really fun to buy they are i feel like i've bought lion's mane and it's been like 46 dollars, and like yo and i'm like i'll take half of that amount of lion's mane but i feel like you have to pay to play with mushrooms yeah i mean i respect that you're drafting mushrooms i'm a little scandalized i feel like i'm the only person that has the intensity for summer produce right now like where is all the stone fruit interest well we're gonna continue drafting i think it might be my turn okay i'm just gonna take strawberries taking it because late may strawberries i just did it i'm sorry i'm not even offended i've been you're not i've been talking about strawberries to seed down elsewhere because they're not even in my top five oh my gosh you went there okay i love strawberries it's definitely in my top two because the season is so short here, it's a late May through mid-June. It's literally a two- or three-week season. They're very small um, when you get them in the East Coast. Um, they look nothing like the Driscoll's berries you're going to get, like, year-round. But And it's a game of chance because often, not often, sometimes you're going to pay you know, quite a bit, like $14, and it's going to be sour, and you're going to have to do something with them. You're going to have to cook. You're going to add some sugar. You're going to have to maybe make a little tart. Or you hit that perfect, batch and it's like 
you just eat them basically before you get to home. The TriStars especially, which is a, a local variety we have here in New York. Yep. So I grew up in California eating strawberries. And then when I moved to New York and had them here, they're much smaller. And I think that they're much sweeter because the flavor is more concentrated. Definitely. I will take a summer New York strawberry over any other strawberry probably. I think they're yep. quite good. They're really good. They're they're very unique. And, and I think Midwest, when I was growing up, we have a strawberry season that's equally short. And they were quite small as well. But mm-hmm. I haven't even talked about Midwest produce, but we'll get there. All right. I think you're up. I'm up and I'm drafting sweet cherries. Wow. Number two. New York state cherries? Yeah, the sweet ones. Yeah. I would take sour. If I'm allowed to take both, I would because I like them. But I could just do sweet. I think that they are the platonic ideal of a summer fruit because uh, you can eat them by your hand. They're very portable. And they're also a good size. You could have a small amount or a large amount, you know. I mean, I will always eat a full peach. I'm never complaining about that. But I think there's something nice about the cherries being kind of a finger food in that way. And they're just so good. Every time I eat one... I'm just like, fuck, I forgot how good these cherries are. When you hit a good cherry, you hit a good cherry. I I, I like Bing's out of Washington State. Yeah. But see, they're different. Those are so, like, unique. Like, they're like, they're like the emoji of cherry. Yeah, I feel like they're too sweet almost. I feel uh-huh. like the ones we get here have a yeah. nice sweet, sour interlude. And also you can wear them as, as earrings, like, grape them <laughs> over an ear if you're so inclined. It's a fun, it's a fun look. So Sweet Cherries is your second pick. Yes. Pat, you're up. All right. So I'm back and I'm I'm doing it, guys. I'm going blueberries. I'm going blueberries. Wow. Risky. Here's my here's my so risky. I I get it. I know. But, you know, you got to live on the edge sometimes. So I'm a yogurt for breakfast guy. Yep. Every day, I just keep it simple. Don't think about it. Are we like vanilla yogurt? We like plain. Are we like plain? I do plain. Fage. Don't tell me zero. I do zero. You're a zero God, guy. Come on, look at look at this. You look good. Come you on. Look, yeah, after the run in the park, you're doing zero. I do I do zero, and <laughs> but I I go banana, I go sliced almonds, and I go blueberries. And listen, year round, it could get rough because I'm going to key food. Yeah, love key food, but I'm getting whatever blueberries they have there, and I just deal with it. But then when the farmers market gets those nice. Summer blueberries, and I'm, I'm using those instead of key food blueberries. It ups the morning oh yogurt game. There's nothing greater than finding that pint and just knowing it's the best pint of the season and just taking it for yourself. Right. And then I try and just, like, think of that kind of blueberry as I'm eating my key food blueberries the rest of the year. Just try and sense memory <laughs> it. Trick my, trick my body into thinking. Trick my mind. But when you get those real farmer's market blueberries in the yogurt, oh. Yeah. It's, it's it's fantastic. Eliza, did you grow up with blueberries in your life? Yeah. I mean, I love blueberries. I just, I feel like for me, the experience of biting into a really squishy, not good blueberry is just so difficult to overcome. Like, oh, yeah. I, I can't, I can't get over that. Um, yeah. I second thought. Yeah. You got to train yourself. You got to, you got to punish yourself sometimes. You do. Zen I think and the art of farmer's market blueberries. Yeah. yeah. I will also, I would be remiss to mention I'm from New England um, yeah. and- a homemade blueberry pie is mm-hmm. also one of my favorite things. West Michigan is known for their blueberries. It's a bit of a fruit belt situation, I must say. And we have some great blueberries, but the season is late August and it goes for only a month. I think actually early August to late. It's basically just August. You're done. Mm. So. Do we go again or are we done? Yeah, no, we're going again. We're going one more round. So then I would go again. Yeah. We snake around. Yeah. All right, I'm going back and forth here, and I think I'm going to go with something else that's 
year-round at the the farmer's market in uh, in Grand Armory Plaza in Prospect Park. I'm going with the kimchi farm brand, mm. kimchi. Oh, you took mine. Excellent you, choice. You took Kim. You were gonna go kimchi. I was thinking kimchi for my next one, but I'm. I, I got. I got a backup. But I think go. You go. You I go. mean, it, it's great. And listen again. I'm. I'm uh, 41, and you got to think about gut health when you get to that <laughs> point. So I'm eating some kimchi, and it's very tasty. Do you, you know, know the brand? It's it's called the Kimchi Farm. I've my wife oh. sent me a picture of the bottle. I think that's that. I think that brand is a Catskills, and it's a Sullivan County brand. I okay. think, but I could be wrong. There's probably many called the Kimchi Company, but mm-hmm. is it a, just a classic Napa cabbage? Yeah, Beshu. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, classic cabbage. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I try not to get the, the super, you know, sometimes they could be like, oh, do you want a really a spicy funky one or, or spicy? Yeah. You know, I think kimchi is a great farmer's market staple. That's why I was going to maybe call it. I feel like it's very different per farmer's market. And it's, if you find your guy, uh, it's just nice to have like a kimchi made that like a fresh kimchi, which is hard to find in this. Some supermarkets are obviously aged. So if you can find a fresh kimchi, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Yeah. So we got our egg guy. We got our kimchi you, guy. You know, and it's your all blueberries. about and yeah, we like blueberries. You really got to figure it out. Blueberries are crapshoot, but you know, it's all about personal relationships out there. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna claim corn. Oh, which okay. I'm so excited about. Oh um, my gosh! I let the record show that I hosted a corn themed dinner party with my friends this past summer. We did appetizer, entree, dessert, all with corn as the main ingredient, which was just a joy. So I'm happy that I'm claiming this again. Interesting. So. It's such a short season, though, right? Or like an in- unpredictable season. Yeah, there is the whole issue of, you know, it's a faux pas, I think, to open the corn husks at the market too far. You might get yelled at, but then you don't want to <laughs> get one that has a worm. I just buy one extra normally in hopes that in case one of them isn't so great, another one will make up yeah. for it. But I think the flavor of summer corn, is again, is so delicious by itself. You can add it to salad. You can add it to a grain bowl. Obviously, pasta is all so good. Um, And it is the kind of thing that I only buy when it's in season. So to me, it is a real kind of taste of summer flavor. So you don't ever cook with frozen corn? Um, oh, I mean, I just said I never buy it. But I do sometimes have frozen corn that I would add. But that's (laughs) pretty rare. I think that I kind of... As I've gotten older and come to terms with the fact that I have certain produce that's available at certain times, I've leaned into that and made it really special that I know that um, when summer comes around, I'm only going to have these things for that amount of time. Yep. And I will actually like give myself a budget in the summer for stone fruit at the market because it can be expensive and because I, I do think it's worth it and I yep. want to buy it in large quantities. I have to ask you, you're not going to, this is our last round, but is there one other stone fruit that you like that you, that you like think about? Oh, I mean, obviously peaches. Yeah. Up there. Because I'm not taking a stone fruit. That's what I'm saying. So. No, I mean, no one took, no one has taken any of mine. I was coming in here ready to fight for all of these. Yeah. Let's see what you have. It's, Maybe well, it's not well, too late. Here's here's my final pick. Conquer grapes. Oh, those are so good. Oh, my God. So I think of grapes as the grocery store grapes. They're bred with this thick skin and very sweet. Like, because kids eat grapes. It's like, mostly for children. And they're great. Like, they're, it's really easy to, to travel. They, they don't go bad. But in late summer into late fall but it, you know it, it's usually in the heart of fall agreeably a best time of my life i love i love a good fall there's nothing better than finding like um like a niagara finding like a beautiful niagara from like that's been you know grown out you know somewhere either out on long island or in jersey and like eating it 
by the like whole container in an afternoon. I mean, they are so delicate. They mush in your mouth in the best way possible. And they're sweet. And I think the ones in the market are a little more acidic. And I like a little sweeter grape. Yeah, I just want to say, like, I'd never had a grape like that before. They have stones inside still, the pit, yeah. which you can crunch on, you can spit out. Yeah. That, or like, you can eat them, too. Th- yeah, I eat them. I eat uh, them. It's almost like a gusher inside. It's gelatinous, lychee-like yep. texture. That that was something when I moved to New York that I never had before. It was a Concord grape like that. Because the Concord grape juice, I'm not a fan of. But no. the grapes themselves, uh, phenomenal. So phenomenal. And it makes you think about wine production, too. And it makes you think, I don't drink wine, but, like, when wine is made, it's very important that you have a great grape. And, like, that's, like, part of this massive thing we covered as a society is, like, when you're eating the raw product, like, wow, this actually makes something even cooler. And I like, like, thinking about different grapes, and uh, I'll go with the with the, with the the yellow ones sometimes. I don't know what those are called. There's, like, a name. It's Lakemont or Jupiter. I don't know what the fuck they're called, but I just love a good farmer's market grape. Shalia, wrap us up. What do you think? Okay, so I mentioned this to Eliza already off mic, um, and I can only talk about this because we are in a safe space. Shalia, you can't. <laughs> I can't. I mean, no, speak your truth, but I think this is an insane choice. I'm just going to let the record Let's show. Let's do it. As in, like, it's an insane choice to pick up a thing that I love or, like— No, pick the thing that you love, but, like, come on. Like, we're there's a whole pantheon of summer—you're not going to pick a single summer produce item? No, I'm telling you, it's fall for me. Like, okay, I, I'm sorry for I'm leading not, the witness. No, it's okay. It's Do like, what's in your heart, Shalia. Uh, the audience is so psyched to hear what are. this is going to be. Uh, okay. I don't know if I can live up to that. But so I was like building out my last, and again, it's going to be a fall vegetable. Like, I'm a lady who knows what I like. Um, and I was thinking about just like, again, like my favorite comfort foods. Like, I think I just grew up in a house with a lot more like we would eat veggies like breakfast, lunch and dinner. I think that's why I'm just like such a heavily veggie person. Um, that's why that you're you're glowing right now. Also. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so one of my favorite side dishes at like Thanksgiving or any family meal, like again, my family is from the South, are like mashed what we call yellow turnips Mm. and so that is what I wanted to talk about and so I was like sitting at my desk and was getting ready to write you know like and making sure I had like the time of the year when they were you know ready and whatever and so I was looking for them online and I was like they don't exist and I got like really stressed out about (laughs) it and I realized I don't like yellow turnips I like rutabagas and I for, I think it's like a Southern culture thing. Like in the South, they're called yellow turnips, but mm-hmm. it is like, you know, biologically it's a rutabaga. Um, so that is my pick. Um, wow. I've really 30 years of my life and I'm now just questioning everything this <laughs> afternoon. Um, but they are like one of my favorite things to eat. They just like remind me of like being in the kitchen with my mom and like yeah. watching her cook as a little kid. Um, and they're just so, they're so good with like, um, you do them like where you like, peel them and boil them and mash them and like cook them like in a little bit of like ham hock with like seasoning um and they're just like buttery and savory and they remind me of my family and they make me so happy wow it sounds like a beautiful dish i love that no it sounds great and 
I sound like an asshole. It's not that I'm not a fan of rutabagas <laughs> or your family traditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, going hard if this is what you guys talked about off mic. I've never been so close to being moved to tears by hearing someone talk about rutabagas, but it's you true. did it, Shalea. No, That it's, was it's, an emotional, yeah. genuine speech about rutabagas. Yeah. The rutabaga lobby is going to show up at your door with free, free yellow turnips for life. I got to ask you about ba- rutabagas, though. Parsnip and rutabagas, uh, they're different? They are different. I also like a parsnip mash. I don't know if I can talk to you about this in enough detail to tell you why they are different. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, like in color. And then I think there's like a little bit of a taste, like maybe the rutabagas are a little nuttier. Someone can correct me on yeah, that. I know right they're in. I know they're different. Can't right tell in. you why I know they're different. Pat Stango, Eliza Barbanal, Shalia Harris. Thank you for drafting produce. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.